This is a great and joyous day, a wonderful opportunity for the entire church to rejoice, to be grateful for an amazing servant who has been called to serve this congregation and this community. It is also a wonderful opportunity by which we as a church can rejoice and can understand the reality that God still calls faithful servants to serve communities abroad. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So begins the second half of John's Gospel. The public teaching of Jesus has been completed and now for several chapters Jesus focuses exclusively on teaching his own, his disciples, and trying to prepare them for what is to come. The statement that he loved them to the end is striking. The end, or telos in Greek, could mean end and in the sense of conclusion or termination, or end in the sense of goal, aim, or fulfillment. Given John's fondness for ambiguity and multiple layers of meaning, perhaps both meanings are intended. Jesus loved his disciples to the very end of his earthly life and ministry, and he loved them fully and completely, without condition or reservation, for this was the fulfillment of his mission. Jesus knows that his hour has come to depart from this world and return to the Father. He knows that God has given all things into his hands and that he has come from God and is going to God. And knowing all this, he chooses to demonstrate his love for his disciples in a dramatic way by taking the role of a slave or washing their feet. Jesus' act of service recalls what Mary of Bethany had done for Jesus just a few days earlier, washing his feet with expensive perfume and drying them with her hair. Jesus interprets her extravagant act of love and service as an anointing for his burial. And in washing his disciples' feet, Jesus simply uses water and a towel. Yet the extravagance is no less. Indeed, it is nothing short of scandalous that the one who comes from God and is going to God should take on the menial task of a slave. This act points to the even greater scandal to come in the dark hours ahead when Jesus will lay down his life crucified on a Roman cross, the form of execution reserved for rebels and slaves. Peter gives voice to the scandal of Jesus' actions while saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? When Jesus says that Peter will understand later what he is doing, Peter objects even more strongly, you will never wash my feet. We are reminded of Peter's objections in Mark's Gospel when Jesus speaks of his impending suffering and death. Here as in Mark, Jesus corrects Peter, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. To which Peter responds, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Oh, Peter, 
we would expect this from Peter. But we would also expect this from our human condition. Jesus never next response to Peter is a bit cryptic and perhaps makes use of a traditional proverb. One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And yet his statement seems to suggest that one's relationship to Jesus has cleansing power that lasts. It will soon become clear how utterly dependent Peter and the others are on this gift of grace. Jesus adds, and you are clean, though not all of you. And the narrator explains, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. This statement brings us to the greatest scandal of this story. It is astonishing. Enough that Jesus takes the role of a slave and washes the dirty feet of his disciples. But even more astounding is the fact that he does so knowing full well that they will all fail him miserably in his hour of greatest need. Jesus insists on washing the feet of Peter, knowing full well that Peter will deny him to save his own skin. What is more, Jesus stoops to wash the feet of Judas, knowing full well that Judas has already conspired to betray him to those seeking his life. John tells us in the 13th chapter, verse 2, that the devil had already put it in his, to his heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And Jesus indicates several times in this chapter that he is fully aware of this reality. Yet even with Judas, cold, calculating, backstabbing Judas, Jesus' love remains unwavering. Jesus washes Judas' dirty feet along with all the others. Do as I have done to you. On this installation Sunday, how appropriate that scripture verse is. Jesus then tells his disciples that they are to serve one another in the same way and that he has served them. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This specific example parallels the broader new commandment Jesus gives us in verse 34. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Jesus' example suggests that loving as he loved means taking the role of a servant, caring for the needs of others without expecting anything in return. His example suggests that it is to do this not only for those who treat us well, but even for those who disappoint and hurt and betray us. Can Jesus really expect us to do this, to love and serve even those who fail us or stab us in the back? Are we not allowed even a few exceptions to the love commandments? Jesus' commandment to love one another is not a commandment to feel affection, but a commandment to 
act in a loving way, even when we would rather do otherwise. And of course, we always fall short of God's perfect love, but that cannot be an excuse to nurse grudges and wallow in unloving behavior as we are washed by Jesus in God's deep and generous love. Our hearts are stretched to love more completely, to love more fully, to love more unwaveringly. Praise be to God. I am reminded of a documentary I saw a few years ago in which a reporter, Christiane Amanpour, interviewed a woman in Rwanda named Iphigenia. She was from the Tutsi tribe. And during the Rwanda genocide of 1994, her husband and five children were clubbed and hacked to death by a mob of Hutus, including one of her neighbors. The neighbor who had participated in the massacre spent seven years in prison and then went before tribal court where he asked for forgiveness from Iphigenia and the whole community. Iphigenia opened her heart and forgave her neighbor, but it did not end there. Iphigenia, a master weaver, also taught her neighbor's wife how to weave baskets. The two became friends and business partners. On the day that Christian Amapur was interviewing her, Iphigenia had invited these same neighbors into her home and was serving them dinner. That's right. She was serving dinner to the man who killed her husband and children. When asked how she found it in her to forgive, Iphigenia said simply, I am a Christian and I pray a lot. Left to our human resources, this kind of love and forgiveness would be inconceivable, but it is possible because of the one who loves us fully and completely, the one who loves us, hallelujah, to the end, even to the cross, and gave and is no longer in the tomb. I think Jesus intends to make this point in the churches, uh, in the church, Jesus' disciples across the board humbled themselves to one another to serve one another, to refresh one another. And because we all, every single one of us, we all have been cleansed. We all have been refreshed. We all have been served by God in Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves and taking sin unto himself, Jesus the Christ, died for our sins, went to the tomb. But isn't it amazing that the tomb is empty? To give a brief illustration of this as well, the story is told about a bishop who had a full day of meetings, administrative tasks, sermon preparation, and several hours of driving to get to a church supper before worship service after the dinner. And when supper time came, he was tired and famished. He hadn't eaten his anything since breakfast. He stood in line along with the other people visiting and slowly moving toward the food. Looking up ahead, he noticed the woman serving one piece of chicken onto each plate. 
At last he got to that spot. Because he was so hungry, he asked for two pieces. She replied, one piece per person, please move along. <laughs> the pastor looked at her and said, I haven't had time to eat since breakfast, please could I have two pieces? But she was firm, each person gets one piece, please move along. He thought, hmm, I'm just going to have to pull rank. And he said, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the bishop. She said back, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the lady in charge of chicken. <laughs> this happens to us many times, doesn't it, Pastor, Pastor Nate, Pastor Fernando? More seriously, let me let me tell you how this connects with foot washing and the essence of today. I'm speaking here as a pastor because I call Jesus teacher and Lord. I ought to use my gifts and abilities to lead worship and to preach totally to serve you, to serve those to whom I am preaching. I ought to use these God-given gifts and abilities I have purely to serve the people of God. I should want nothing else. I shouldn't be up here leading worship and preaching so I can think to myself, I'm pretty important because people think I am good at what I do up here and they need me. But that is the temptation of the pastor's heart. The ambition to be considered the messenger who is greater than the ones to whom he or she is sent. I am your Lord and teacher and yet I set aside my ego and my status and I treat you as someone who is more important than I. This is the example I want you to follow, said Jesus. This is what I want you to be like. Treat each other with deference and humility. This is Jesus speaking. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Let me say this again. We are fully whole as persons and as a church because we are forgiven and reconciled to God and to each other as a result of Jesus' sacrificial death and life-giving resurrection. How many here say amen? amen? Yeah, it's good. It's good to say amen. Because the grace of God, we truly do not have to be defensive about our flaws and our weaknesses. It is not people's flaws and weaknesses that cripple a congregation. By golly, we've got them. All of us have got them. It is when we are too proud or too afraid to admit to flaws and weaknesses. We trust the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And today, Pastor Fernando has been called by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit working in and through this congregation to minister to the whole people of God, to this community, so that we may wash each other's feet as we serve communities and yet indeed this world who is desirous of a positive message. 
that message can be found in the amazing person of Jesus the Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.